Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading is on page 1061 and it's Luke 24 verses 1 to 12. That's page 1061, Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. What a very precious day it is, and uh, it's a joy to uh, share this day with all of you, so so thank you so very much uh, for being here, and uh, it seems right that we're going to gather shortly around uh, the Lord's table, but before that, uh, we're going to sit under God's Word, and uh, I woke this morning and I was thinking how easy it is for me just to roll on down here, open the Bible, begin to talk, Um, and in one sense, that's quite vacuous, isn't it, really, unless God actually speaks to us. Uh, And I suddenly felt this deep longing that we wouldn't just come this morning and go through the motions of another Easter Sunday, but we would be overwhelmed at the reality of what we're talking about here. The story before us is utterly transformative. It's the reason that I can even get out in the morning, come here and do this. It's the reason that we are able to do life and because we have hope beyond the grave, because of Jesus Christ and the fact that he is risen. And so with that thought, let's gather together around his word. Let's call upon him and ask that he would lead and guide us this morning. Amen. Join with me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel and the good news of it. We thank you that it is loaded with hope. And we ask this morning that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in it. But above all, we ask that in our brokenness and in our reaching out to you as our creator, that you would speak to us. Give us ears to hear, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one of the joys of being married to my wife, Naomi, is that uh, she is uh, 
She is exotic, that's the way I like to describe it, not least because uh, her mother is from Malaysia, so she's fascinating and interesting, and her mother was one of the most beautiful people that I have ever known. She loved the Lord Jesus Christ like few people. And she was a a converted Hindu, so she understood why we would love the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, she was married in 1967, and in 1970, she went back home to her village in Kuala Pilla. Some people may have heard of that. And she sat with her mother at the gate in the garden and looked up at the moon, and she turned to Amma, And said to her, isn't it remarkable that just a few months earlier, somebody walked on that moon. It was early 1970, and of course in 1969, Neil Armstrong had walked on the moon. And Amma, she turned to Rajas and she began to chuckle. She clearly thought that this was the funniest thing that she'd ever heard. And she turned to her and she said, don't be ridiculous, that's impossible. You know, today's story takes us to a whole new level of impossible. It was the day after the Sabbath, the day we now call Sunday. Jesus had been crucified on Friday. And it was late by the time the body was removed from the cross. The sun was beginning to set. And it was so near to the beginning of the Sabbath that the disciples only had time to hurriedly prepare his body before they placed it in the burial tomb. So these women who loved Jesus and who had been devoted to him throughout his earthly ministry as dawn was about to break on Sunday were on their way to the tomb to finish the final preparation of Jesus' body for burial. And in Mark's gospel, Mark tells us in chapter 16, verse 3, that one of the things they talked about on their way was their concern about the fact that none of them, these women, were going to be able to roll the stone away. And yet you'll notice there in verse 2 that the stone has already been rolled away. And when they look inside, Jesus' body has gone. And Luke records for us their reaction to this, verse 4. They were wondering, they were perplexed, they were puzzling. Now, Luke's order of events, people and reactions, is interesting and intentional. First of all, he tells us who is at the empty tomb. Notice with me, you'll notice there that the women are there, verse 1, the angels, verse 5, and then Peter, verse 12. But then I want us to note who's not there. Jesus is not there. I mean, why should he be? Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He's risen. He's alive. He's not in the grave. I mean, this is the point, isn't it, of Easter Sunday. That is why we're here celebrating today. Yet I want us this morning... To look more closely at this text, there's more going on here than first meets the eye. In Luke's record of the resurrection, here in these first 12 verses, Jesus does not appear, which is different to other gospel resurrection accounts. There's no record here, for example, of the conversation with Mary Magdalene. Why is there no record of the risen Jesus in this narrative? 
It's actually part of the point that Luke is making to you and to me because the center of his passage is not about an appearance of Jesus. It's about a message from an angel who reminds them of a conversation with Christ. You see, our passage before us this morning is about a battle of faith. Are we going to believe without first seeing Jesus? Are we going to trust the word of Jesus? It's as if Luke purposely omits the personal appearance of Jesus because he wants to teach his disciples about the importance of trusting the words of Christ. And so Luke draws our attention to the interaction between the two angels and the women at the tomb. Now, despite what Jesus had had taught, the women simply had not been able to get their heads around the concept of a bodily resurrected Jesus. And this is not surprising since the only people group of the ancient Near East who believed in bodily resurrection was the Jews, and this was only going to happen at the end times. You could argue that these women simply didn't have the categories to envision Jesus coming back from the dead. It wasn't conceptually possible. They were understandably perplexed, confused, surprised, not fully believing what Jesus had said to them in the past. And Luke makes that clear that that's an issue in this passage because when the angel begins to speak, what does the angel say? Listen there to the exhortation, verse 6. He is not here, he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. The exhortation here is, remember Jesus' words. And the way you understand the resurrection is to go back to what Jesus said. And then Luke, just in case we've missed it, tells us there in verse 8, Then the women remembered his words. In other words, they believed. You see, like you and me, these women are a work in progress. They're still puzzling things out. But they are learning two key things. Two key things that will shape the rest of their lives. And they learned them 2,000 years ago, gaping into that empty cave. And there are two things that we would do well to remind ourselves of this morning. Firstly, the word interprets life. Now this is, this is huge, and it's the point that Luke is driving home to us here. The exhortation to remember Jesus' words is the angel's way of explaining to them that they will not be able to understand these events apart from understanding and remembering Jesus' words. And you know, that's, that's how it is in the whole of the Christian life. See, we don't read the word of God through the light of our life. We read our lives through the light of the word of God. The word interprets the events and the situations, the circumstances of our lives. 
We read God's providence in our lives through the lens of Scripture. It's the Word of God that frames our understanding of everything that happens in life. And that's vital in the Christian life. And it's so often a challenge, isn't it? It may well have been a particular challenge for you this past year. This past couple of years. You've had situations in your life. A loss. A tragedy. Something that is perplexing. That you can't quite get your head around. You can't figure it out. Why would God allow that to happen? We believe the word of God. It's not that we've rejected it or that we disbelieve it. We believe the word of God, but we're wrestling. We may wrestle like these women who surely they'd been doing that for three days, trying to understand to make sense. Or maybe for three weeks or for three months or even for three years. And as we're wrestling, what are we trying to do? We're trying, aren't we, to to get to that point where we know in our hearts that we are where we should be before the Lord. We're trying to get back to where we can say to the Lord, no more I doubt you. No more I doubt that you are good. No more I doubt that you've got this situation and that you've got me and my family in it. And the angel is saying, we will not get there until we remember Jesus' words. Because Jesus' words, God's words, are life-giving and faith-producing. I wonder, have you ever had that experience where finally what restores you to new life, what finally gives you that equilibrium again is suddenly arresting in the knowledge of what God says in his word. God speaks to you through his word. And this time you're not just hearing, but you're listening. It's as though your soul is connecting to the very word of God. And you're able to say, yes, Lord. And it's not that you understand everything about your situation. It's just that you can Rest, finally, in the truth of God's word. And often it's a a passage that you've read a, a thousand times and you could quote it by heart. But it's as if in that moment, in that situation, the Bible author wrote it to you five minutes ago and hands it to you and says, this is a message from God. In that moment, unexpectedly often, God just leans in And speaks to you. And you can hear the whisper. I love you. And I've got you. It might not make sense. But it's going to be okay. You see what's happened in that moment. The word of God has interpreted your life back to you. And suddenly you're able to rest in God's providence. To give it over to him. To give over to him your pain. And your anger, 
and your frustration and your disappointment to finally trust and believe the Lord's got it and he's got you safe too in his hand. And the angel is saying to these women, if you're going to respond to the resurrection the right way, the way to begin is remembering Jesus' words. And the women, praise God, they remember. And everything they do in the rest of this passage has all the, has all the hallmarks of faith. So first of all then, the word interprets life. I want us to see, second, that the resurrection inspires hope. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important, my friends, because the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is at the root of our hope. Now, I came across a, a book recently called A Grace Disguise by someone called Jerry Sitzer, and uh, he lost his wife and um, his mother and uh, a daughter in the same car accident. And his book, uh, A Grace Disguised, writes about the depths of grief. And he talks about his son who survived, struggling three years later with guilt when he feels happy in his life. And how his son relives the events of that awful day, trying to, to change the order of events so that the deaths didn't happen. And Jerry Sitzer writes, let me read these words to you. Sometimes I worry about him, about all of them really. Sometimes I even worry about me. Then I sink into a sadness that makes me think we will never experience life again. My despondent mood casts a shadow over everything, even over my faith. On these occasions, I find it hard to believe anything at all. But then I gain perspective. I remind myself that suffering is unique to us. It's the destiny of humanity. If this world were the only one there is, then suffering has the final say, and all of us are a sorry lot. But generations of faithful Christians have gone before and will come after, and they have believed or will believe what I believe in the depths of my soul. Jesus is the center of it all. He defeated sin and death through the crucifixion and resurrection. Then light gradually dawns once again in my heart and hope returns. I find reason and courage to keep going and to continue believing. Once again, my soul increases its capacity for hope as well as for sadness. I end up believing with greater depth and joy than I had before, even in my sorrow. You know, people from all sorts of different backgrounds. Some of us know one another, some of us don't. Some of us are here visiting family. Some of us are brokenhearted. Some of us are full of joy. But do you know what? Do you know what we all have in common? Do you know that the one thing that we need, the one thing we need is hope. But we don't need unsubstantiated hope. Hope without evidence. 
And the women coming to the tomb at dawn, they were in despair. They came to the tomb when it was dark in the morning. Uh, they came to, 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 to the tomb when it was dark in the morning, and they came to grieve, to attend a body, to visit a tomb enclosed with a stone. They came in darkness, but darkness gave way to light. They came expecting the stone, but the stone was rolled away. They came to attend a body, but the body was gone. With spices, but they needed none. To grieve, but the object of grief had turned to that of joy. They came in despair, but despair had turned to hope. Now back earlier in Luke's account, back in chapter 18, we have given Jesus' words there in verse 31 to 33. And do you remember them? Do you remember what he said? We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles... They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And all of this, of course, these women and and, and the disciples saw as eyewitnesses. And on that dreadful day, as Jesus called out, it is finished, and the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom, the prophecies were fulfilled. And there Jesus announced on the cross the judgment of sin was complete. And the forgiveness of sin was made available through the shedding of blood. And then in verse 33 in Luke 18, Luke continues, On the third day he will rise again. You see, the resurrection is the proof of it is finished. It is our assurance of forgiveness of sins. Now, do we understand That in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, God is publicly revealing that he has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins. And he is vindicating Jesus' person. When I am Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. It's a vindication of that, of that claim that the Lord Jesus made. And so he is saying to everyone, who believes on him as he has offered in the gospel, your sins have been forgiven by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, in the tomb, and in the resurrection. It is finished. Hallelujah. But the resurrection also reminds you and me That we love and serve and worship a living Savior. The angels said it, didn't they? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's a living Savior. And this means that you can talk to him. It means that he is interceding for us. It means that he comforts us and that he comes and dwells in the midst of his people wherever two or three are gathered in his name. It means he is with us this morning. It means that he is the good shepherd who walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And it's important that we understand this. You see, it's important that we understand the resurrection because our ultimate hope is that our bodies one day, too, will be raised with him. You know, the Christian hope 
is not that we will go off in the spirit world to some fairyland. It's that one day our bodies will be raised out of the tomb and glorified and perfected and united with our souls and we will live with God forever. And if we've lost somebody even this past year and there will be many of us who have all this morning we remember loved ones we miss then we need the hope that only comes from Jesus' resurrection and that's why we remember Jesus' words do not let your hearts be troubled you believe in God believe also in me my father's house has many rooms If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? You know, Luke is so kind to us in this passage because he focuses on our response to the words of God. And it's not actually going to stop. In the next story, Jesus himself is going to be walking along a road on the way to Emmaus with two disciples. And what is he going to do? How is he going to help them get over their despair at his his own death? Well, he's going to open the Bible to them, isn't he? And he's going to lead them effectively through a Bible study. And he's going to get them to believe the word of God and what it says about him. He's also going to to break bread and and, and share wine, as we're going to do in, in a brief moment. And it's when, of course, when he breaks the bread, they see who Jesus is, the living word, who is and with them, and what he says is true. You know, those disciples on the road to Emmaus, they'd, they'd left Jerusalem. And actually, they were content to leave Jesus in the grave. Let me ask all of us, I guess. Have we let Jesus go this year? Have we been content to leave Jesus in the grave? It's not that we haven't gone through the motions, but you know what I mean. I mean that heartfelt connection with him. Have we grown arid? Have we grown cold? Have we gone dry? Grown dry? You know, like the women, maybe, maybe the grief of your situation has been so utterly overwhelming. And you know, let me say this to you, Jesus understands if you've dropped him a little bit, you know. Sometimes it's just too much, isn't it, to do this life. But he hasn't dropped you. Maybe that that disappointment in that person or in that situation has been just way too much that we have left Jesus in the grave. We've grown weary and tired. And our faith is just not given us what we needed because we've lost sight of what matters. And let me say to you this morning, today is a new day. The 9th of April, 2023. It's Easter Day. It's Resurrection Sunday. It's the day our Lord Jesus Christ burst forth from the grave. It's the day he defeated your sin. It's the day he nailed your disappointment to the cross. And it's the day he says, I died for you. I love you. 
Come home. Come home to me where you will find an embrace like you've never known before because I love you unconditionally and I've loved you through your pain. I've been there when you felt I wasn't and I'll be with you every step of your days on this earth and I'll take you by the hand that moment when you close your eyes and you don't know what's next and you'll come with me from this life into the next because I am the resurrection and the life. Amen.